Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new, we're glad that you're here. We hope you'll become a part of what God's doing here. And today we're beginning a new series in the Gospel of John entitled, Life Full and Unending. We'll be considering some of Jesus's most famous promises about life and eternity, and how we should understand them and how we can lay hold of them. Now, studying today's passage this week reminded me of one of my early days in a city called Ushku in Japan. I was still trying to orient myself to the city and find my bearings when I went out. Japan has almost no street signs, so before cell phones and Google Maps, getting around was a huge challenge. I was with an American friend who was helping me get adjusted, but he didn't know that particular city very well either. We headed out to try and find the train station. I was looking for signs that might help point the way. But as we went along, we saw a man with a briefcase head down a small side street. To my surprise, my friend said, let's follow him. <laughs> Following someone down a dark street and expecting them to lead you to your destination sounded like a terrible plan to me. It turns out, though, that they did just that. My friend had correctly guessed that in Japan, someone walking quickly with a briefcase was probably headed toward the train. I ended up using that technique many times. But I've also come to learn that we all do something like that more often than we realize. In 2008, researchers at Leeds University did an experiment where they asked large groups of people to walk aimlessly around a large hall without speaking to each other. Before the experiment began, though, they gave a few of the people detailed instructions on precisely where they should walk. What they found was that no matter how large or how small the group, everyone ended up following the pattern of the few that were given those detailed instructions. In fact, they found that just 5% of informed individuals could influence the direction of up to 200 people. They concluded that many of our actions, decisions, and even beliefs are subconsciously shaped by the people and influences around us. How do you feel about that? I personally find that a little troubling. <laughs> because what if the guy with the briefcase wasn't headed to a train station, but was instead on his way to a strip club? Or what if I'm being more influenced by the people I follow on social media than I realize? What if those YouTube videos and Netflix shows aren't just distracting me, but actually shaping me? What if the books I read and the people I look up to are actually forming my values and attitudes at a level way beyond what I recognize? As you begin to ask those questions, you realize that you need a strategy for evaluating who you follow and what you're influenced by. How will you navigate your way in a world with so much power to shape you? How do you know whether to follow the guy with a briefcase? Those are the questions that today's passage answers. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll start reading at John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door 
is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives us three ways to navigate our way in a world that seeks to shape us. The first is to beware the influencers who want to profit from you. We become a naive target for damaging and destructive ideas when our eyes aren't open to the ways that people are influencing us for their own gain at our expense. Beware the influencers who want to profit from you. Now, as we try to understand what Jesus is, is saying in today's passage, it's helpful to see that it's different than most of Jesus's other parables. Usually what Jesus does is tell a story with a plot twist that delivers the punchline. Today's passage isn't really a story at all. There's no plot, just a couple of scenes with a bunch of characters. One of the characters whom Jesus describes is the robber. You'll see him in verse 1. He says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Since we're the sheep in this scene, the warning is that there are people and forces in this world out to steal us. Steal what God is doing in our lives. They're competing for our allegiance, and their goal is to control us. They're compared to thieves and robbers because often their motivation is money. In verse 8, Jesus says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Now, he's obviously not saying everyone who was born before him were thieves and robbers. And it can't mean that all the religious teachers before him were thieves and robbers. 
He's saying that people who came before him making false claims to be the Messiah and promised Savior were trying to steal from the work of God in people's lives rather than contribute to it. In verse 12, Jesus warns of another threat to the sheep. There's a wolf, and he seeks to snatch and scatter them. The wolf isn't so much aiming to steal the sheep as he is to devour them. He wants to destroy the work of God in your life, and he wants to separate you from the other sheep. He knows that when you're alone, you're vulnerable and weak. Influencers today talk about freedom, but it's always a particular shape of freedom. It's a freedom from God and a freedom from his commands. It's a freedom that ends in loss, and Jesus wants you to be on guard against it. They're seeking to destroy rather than build up. Finally, Jesus warns of the hired hand. That's the one who acts like they're there to protect you, but they're just in it for the paycheck. So that when there's any actual danger, they're the first ones to check out. Starting in verse 12, watch what Jesus says. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Today, the most successful YouTube and Instagram stars are the ones who are so personal, they make you feel like they're your friend. <laughs> they make you feel like they know you and care about you. But obviously they don't. They care about what you mean to them in terms of profit. Every day you open yourself up to people who influence the way you think about your body, your identity, your values, your goals, your sexuality, your faith, and your God. You see the guy with a briefcase, and your inclination is to follow. Jesus wants you to see how dangerous that is. He wants us to be on guard against the dam damage that people can have when we blindly follow. So who are you following? What are you listening to? What's your crowd? Who gets your attention? Beware the influencers who want to profit from you. They steal, scatter, and destroy. But there's no protection in just avoiding the negative influences. We need to seek something more positive. And so the second way we navigate life in a world that seeks to shape us is by embracing the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. Jesus has proven that he's worth following. He's the only influencer that we can't get too much of. Embrace the good shepherd who lays down his life for you. Now, Jesus describes his role in our lives in two different scenes here. The first is in verses 1 to 6. There he pictures for us a community sheep enclosure. These were typically located near a home. They were surrounded by a stone wall, and they would contain the flocks of several families with a gatekeeper hired to make sure no one could break in. In verse 2, Jesus is the shepherd who enters through the door. So unlike the robbers, he's the rightful owner of this flock. Then in verse 3, he says, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, shepherds in the Middle East didn't use sheepdogs or horses to control their sheep. They had a distinctive call, and every sheep in the flock knew it. Even though you could have a number of different uh, 
uh, uh, uh, flocks that were kept in the same pen, when the shepherd called his flock, only those sheep would respond. So far, Jesus' depiction of a shepherd with his sheep is expected. But this shepherd is unusual. Not only does he have a distinctive call for his flock, he's actually named each one. Here, Jesus is claiming a personal, intimate relationship with each of his followers. Not just the contrived personal relationship of a social media influencer. Jesus knows us deeply and personally. He gets us. He understands us. He really sees us. He knows our name. Hart Island in the Bronx has a government-funded cemetery with close to a million dead bodies. Prisoners are paid 50 cents an hour to dig the graves for those who are forgotten by society. Stillborn babies, the homeless, the poor, and in the past year, hundreds of COVID-19 victims. It's as if they've been abandoned by the world. But in the middle of that island, there's a large cross that reads, he calls his own by name. It's a recognition that Jesus even knows those who have been forgotten by this world. He knows us personally and individually. Now, after describing the community sheep enclosure in verses one to six, Jesus changes the scene to a shepherd tending his flock out in the countryside in verses seven to 18. In the warmer months, shepherds would travel with their flocks in search of rich pasture land for them to graze. At night, they would build a, a simple wall with prickly branches to keep the sheep from wandering, and they would lay across the entranceway. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's a door, not in the sense of the door that we typically think of. Here, he's the door in the sense that he's that faithful shepherd who lies across the entrance to the sheep enclosure. He's declaring that he's the one who tirelessly works to protect his sheep. But not only that, he's also saying that it's only through him that someone can be saved from their sins and experience the fullness of life that only he can give. As he says in the next verse, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's only through Jesus that we can experience life as it was truly meant to be, as it was truly meant to be lived. And that's not just true for the beginning of the Christian life. It's how we grow in greater and greater experiences of fullness of life. I think sometimes we Christians come to Jesus for life in order to avoid hell but when, then we look to the world to make our lives more rich and meaningful. That fullness is in Jesus. We're surrounded by messages telling us that our lives will be full if we earn more money or if we pursue more of the good life or if we do more self-care or if we just get rid of the restraints of religion. But Jesus is the one who truly fills us. We're created for fellowship with him. And no matter how much other stuff we try to fill ourselves with, without him, we feel empty. We hunger and thirst in life until we go through the door of faith in him and become a part of his flock. And then keep going to him for more and more of the life that he offers. Now, although he's been describing himself as a shepherd throughout this passage, 
I don't want you to miss the significance of his declaration in verse 11, where he famously says, I am the good shepherd. In the Old Testament, the leaders of God's people were often compared to shepherds. King David was literally a shepherd before he became king. But God used the image of a shepherd as a description for the way he wanted leaders to guide and protect and feed his people. The word pastor today just comes from the Latin word shepherd. The problem was Israel, like so many other countries and, and peoples, had a lot of bad shepherds. In Ezekiel 34.4, God condemned Israel's shepherds with these words. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. The evaluation sounds a lot like the thieves and wolves and hired men that Jesus warned of. But in that same passage in verse 14 and 15, God gave a solution to so many bad leaders. He says this, I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. When Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd, he's not just saying he's going to try to do better than some of the other ones. He's not just a good shepherd. He's claiming to be the good shepherd. He's claiming to be the one that the scriptures have promised. He's claiming to be God himself come to provide life and salvation for his people. And he proved that by giving his life for us. As he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. But is he your good shepherd? Have you gone through the door? Are you one of his sheep? Many people assume that they are. Other people aren't sure what's, what's involved. So let's close by examining our sheep credentials. How does our life align with what Jesus says of his sheep? In verse 3, he says, the sheep hear his voice. In verse 4, he says, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And then in verse 5, Jesus adds, a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him. According to Jesus, his sheep hear Jesus, follow Jesus, and reject the imposters. Does that describe you? Are you one of Jesus's sheep? Some of you would say, sure, I hear Jesus at least two or three times a month. I hear the sermon when I can and try to listen. But that's not how a sheep listens. The sheep are constantly attuned to the voice of their shepherd. We hear Jesus' voice in the words of Scripture. Do you take time to listen to him in his word? Do you make a habit of reflecting during the day on what he said? Sheep live under the constant care and provision of their shepherd. And Jesus wants that kind of relationship with his sheep, where his voice is our focus, his word our meditation. 
And sheep know that their shepherd's voice can be trusted. They know, they know that he speaks to protect them. He speaks for their good. His words lead to life and safety and abundance. So don't just listen to a little bit of Jesus on Sunday and then spend the rest of the week just blindly following the guy with a briefcase to who knows where. Be deliberate about following Jesus, pursuing his guidance. I think one of our greatest temptations is to believe that we don't really need a shepherd, at least not one who's on the clock 24-7. We prefer an outsourced shepherd that we can order up when we need a little lift or we're looking for a second opinion. But that's not how real sheep relate to a real shepherd. Are you one of Jesus' sheep? The strangers and thieves call his sheep. They try to lure them away. They try to tempt them to give up. But Jesus' sheep, according to the verse, they don't listen to them. They know the sound of their shepherd's voice too well to be fooled by the imposters. Are you one of Jesus' sheep? Probably one of the most basic ways you can see your relationship to the shepherd is how you relate to the other sheep. Sheep that are separated from the flock are, by definition, lost. Does Jesus know that he can find you often with the rest of the sheep? Do you pray with the flock? Do you gather to study the shepherd's words for the flock? Or do you like to graze on your own? Do you prefer to keep to yourself? Are you really one of Jesus' sheep? If you're not, he invites you to become one. And it's through faith in him that you join his flock, you experience his protection, and you feed in his pasture. As we've heard him say, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Hear his voice today. Come through the door, walk through the gate, join the rest of the flock and feed on his abundance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we have a good shepherd in Jesus Christ. We have the, the good shepherd, the promised one. I thank you, Father, for looking down on us and seeing our need, a need of one who would lead us in righteousness, one who would guide us in truth, but ultimately one who would lay down his life to pay the penalty for our sins. Father, I pray that we would look to him. I pray for anyone who hasn't walked through that door, that hasn't entered into the flock through faith in Jesus Christ. Draw them near and give them the courage to follow you. I pray for those who have. Help them not to stray from the flock. Help them to come to Jesus, to look to him and to hear his voice in the pages of scripture, to reflect on his words and to be guided by his spirit. Do that work in our hearts, Father, and lead us into the green pastures that you've prepared for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope this message has helped you to see 
how to navigate in a world with so much power to shape you. Most of all, I hope it's shown you what a good shepherd Jesus is and the life that he invites you to enjoy. If you have questions about how to take the next step, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.